I've really been trying to make sense of this, eh? Because, well, what the hell's going on? Why am I selling out 3,000-person auditoriums? I use the stage, let's say, as a opportunity in real time to think. I've been thinking, well, if you're surfing, you don't confuse yourself with the wave. The wave. That's how we get connected to the cure of the Don, dude. Yeah, I mean, you just do these things. When I wrote that VisiCalc thing, I just hit up the dude who made VisiCalc, right? Oh, nice. What's up? What are you saying? He's just like, he's like, cool, yeah, you can use my pictures and my ads. It's like, cool. Yeah, people are, people are chill. You just reach out, man. Just extend the hand. Welcome to the Unwise Index. Still standing. Still a podcast. Still living. They thought we wouldn't come back, dude. It's, it, you know, we were underground for quite a while. Still free. Still free. Land of the free. Land of the free. Home of the brave. Yes. My name is Akshay, joined as always by Monik. What's up, Monik? You know what it is, dude. Actually, I don't, dude. It's been about, 50, it's <laughs> it's been been about minute, 18 dude. months. It's been 18 months, and, you know, the reason why we stopped casting was we were worried, dude. We were worried we about were. the world. We had to go take a hiatus and get some shit right. Get centered. Yeah, start to think about some things. And after observing for 18 months, it's like the world's still standing. Yeah, yeah. But now you got these, like, you got the intellectual dark web. You got all these folks trying to, like, control the logos of human society. And we realized the, the index is needed right now. It is. It feels like. So when, you, when, we, when I think about what's happened since March 2017, which is the last episode, um, I was just saying I have a hard time thinking about a lot of specifics. Like it feels like one big blur, yeah. right? Like a lot of years, if you think back 12 months, feel that way. But it's like, I think like, you know, like what, what, there's a lot of political stuff, a lot of, you know, kind of contentious geopolitical stuff. A lot of tweets, a lot of new hashtags. Yeah, I think that North Korea, like we have peace with North Korea now, if I read that correctly. <laughs> Who knows, dude? <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I, I, don't, I don't think it's clear. We'll see, right? Yeah. Dennis Rodman's in the mix still there. Yeah, there's, and it feels like, I mean, there's a lot of, a lot of new music, right? A lot of new music on all sides. That's true. Yeah, Ye came out with two albums. That was, that was He cool. released like five albums, right? That's it was true, like, since he, the time, yeah. Yeah, so it was him, it was, could, it was him with Kid Cudi, and then it was the uh, Nas album, and then it was the Tiana Taylor album. He had like seven albums that came out or something. And he had the anthem, anthem of the year, dude. With all this trials and tribulation around the world, mm-hmm. you got to feel the love, dude. Feel the love. Or the, the poopity scoop. <laughs> well, that too, poopity scoop. <laughs> Yeah, that was a great. I mean, uh, the memes, dude. The memes keep coming. I almost forgot about the you know the break the internet moment when you wore the MAGA hat. Like that's how much stuff has happened is happening day to day that I forgot that that even happened until I just now started doing the recall here on the cast. And that's important, right? He was trying to make a statement that not all thought needs to be monolithic. He can have his own diverse thought, but Mm. some thoughts worse than others, and that's why we're here. We're going to course correct some thought. There is a hierarchy, you could say, of thoughts. <laughs> oh no, dude! Well, we will have we'll to have to a, we have to have a dedicated Jordan Peterson podcast. Uh, yeah, well, there's both like the the philosophy and psychoanalysis of the man, and there's also the music that the man is a part of. He's, a, I mean, you go to Spotify, you go to Apple Music right now, type in Akira the Don and Jordan Peterson, you will see some hot beats, dude. That 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 I'm new 100% genre serious. of music is masterful. I will say, my posture has improved. You got to stand up straight with your shoulders stand back. Stand up straight with your shoulders back, dude. It's amazing. <laughs> it is. And this is like, um, there's also like, so there's this guy, Akira the Don, who we'll, we'll link in the show notes, um, who basically, it's called, he, he's invented a new genre of music called Meaning Wave, 
Um, and hopefully we'll get the rights either in this episode or, or coming up to be able to use some samples. But he basically blends both modern thinkers and historical thinkers um, and like other interesting philosophy with like beats that he makes. And so it's like people like Jordan Peterson. It's people like Terrence McKenna. It's people like um, Alan Watts. Yeah. Um, it's, it's actually a pretty wide spectrum of folks that aren't don't necessarily over, like I find them all interesting, but they don't really overlap that much necessarily. Yeah, and what's cool about it is like you actually listen to the lyrics, and the lyrics have meaning. So I can imagine like vibing out to some archaic revival and some Terrence McKenna and Alan Watts the club. Yeah, like that's yeah. remarkable. That's amazing. It's such a brilliant idea. Everybody's always in the club, just trying to you know get get their drink on, have some fun. But what if you were also getting a little meaning while you were there? That's what the world needs right now, man. It's like you're both you're both you know getting fresh in the club, but you're also learning something about yourself. And that's what I think I mean, when I think about the Unwise Index. Mm-hmm. I think we've both been on a path to find meaning. I think we're getting yeah, closer. So. I think we're getting closer. Meaning yeah, in our own we're almost lives. there. We're, we're getting, almost we're... there. We've gotten a lot of trips to find it. Yeah, uh, we'll talk. Maybe talk about that at some point. But yeah, we've gone. We've gone underground, above ground, everywhere. I think the reason we came back, outside of it being fun for us and uh, getting a lot of feedback that we got some laughs, we came back because. Man's search for meaning, dude. Man's search for meaning in this complicated world, in this connected world. We have useful things to say, I think. I think so. And I think, um, well, the topic for today is um, lots of memes, lots of tweets, again, thinking about the last 16, or 16 to 18 months. You know, there is, there is an ordering, there is a hierarchy of, of thinking or of or a goodness or a badness to certain thoughts, you could say. But uh, censorship yeah, and the limits of free speech and what should be allowed to be part of the public discourse, even if it is misinformation, right? And so um, well, we can go into this maybe here in a second, but it's, it's the Alex Jones Infowars stuff of the moment, but I think it is a broader conversation. You know, first things first, man. Yeah, first As is tradition, what you drinking right now? What you eating, dude? What am I eating? Well, I'm eating knowledge every day. Oh, sad, um, dude. <laughs> I know. Eat them pages, dude. Just eating the books, eating the books. It's harder when they're Kindle books, but you know you can still you still find a way to do it. Um, I'm just drinking some sugar-free Red Bull, but it's on it's on ice. You can hear the ice. Oh, nice! I can hear that. Yeah. So yeah, nothing super fancy. What prompted was, the sugar-free decision? So, I think I generally, and maybe you feel this way too. It's like anything that's a full sugar carbonated drink feels like it feels like you might as well be like smoking a cigarette or like doing something. Like it feels like it's that level of social stigma now. Right. And like. You know, I don't think we know what the what the effects are of sugar-free drinks. I mean, isn't it like aspartame and like large amounts kills rats or something? Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm not drinking that much of it, I don't think. But like, that that's really it. It's like, I think like, okay, um, it's probably the healthier choice. I'm just trying to get my caffeine on, so why not, right? It feels that, getting your health game on, dude. We got to live long lives. Yeah, you know, it's like if I, when I'm trying to be healthy, some people have these like, you know, these quinoa protein shakes or something. I don't mm-hmm. know what they drink. Um, and I got Red Bull, so... We'll see who wins. We'll, we'll tally it up at the end of the I, day. I heard it gives you wings, though, right? It does. It makes it hard to sit in this chair. <laughs> oh, man. What are you drinking? Uh, dude, I'm fancy today. Fancy. Uh, you know, I was, I was going out to buy some drink before the show because I'm like, we got to – this is a big moment. We got to inaugurate this shit. And yes. so I put out – I took out a wine glass and I'm drinking some naked grape Malbec. Um, so I'm living the high-class life compared to our previous cast. It's Naked Grape? Naked Grape, yeah. Not Naked Juice. Throwback uh, episode four, but Naked Grape, Malbec. Got it. 
Yeah, I was going to say, is Naked Juice is making wine now. Wow. They're really stratified up game, that dude, product We need mix. to get that sponsor, dude. Naked, Naked sponsor us. We're giving you free ideas here. I mean, the least you can do is throw a little money at the cast. A little bit <laughs> Exactly. Money. We got views, dude. We got subscribers. Yeah. I mean, I think SoundCloud is like artificially deflating our numbers. So it's like... You know, it's it's probably too much for the system to even handle. Um, I was sad about our marketing intern. Um, yeah, us, right. Uh, kind of disappointing. You know, we were we planned this whole guerrilla marketing campaign, and we did. Um, yeah, it's sad. It's real sad to see that person go. You know, they were they were pursuing their own dreams and destiny, and we we can't stop vision. Just another kid who wanted to be a YouTuber. You know, <laughs> he's got a million but, views now. He does, but uh, <laughs> we're not jealous or anything, but um, yeah, a little bit, just a little bit jealous. <laughs> oh, man. Um, so, yeah, the any any food to compliment it? I mean, I'd probably be hearing the food if you were eating food. No, so. no food I ate earlier. I'm, I'm trying to adopt this paleo diet. I'm uh, trying really? to I'm trying to mix it up. So the years have not been kind okay. to me. Like four years ago, I was like 170 pounds. You know, I was in shape, good yeah. looking stunner. And Stunner, now, young son, <laughs> dude. And now I'm like, I'm pushing 210, dude. But I'm gaining a lot of weight, and I don't know what's happening. Is this? And now I felt the pain of old age because, like, I'm not eating very much more. I'm actually exercising. My sleeping habits are fine. I got a Fitbit. I'm yeah. tracking my sleep. I got like five and a half, six and a half hours of sleep. Actually, my average yeah. is five hours and 47 minutes. But I, I feel refreshed every day. Okay, uh, but that's good. But for some reason, I'm still putting yeah. on pounds like no other, and I don't get it. And like one argument I have is I have this Yunmai scale. I should have gotten the Fitbit scale. I got this Yunmai scale and the Yunmai scale is like way off because it says my body fat percentage is like 12%. And I'm like, yeah, there's no goddamn way, dude. I'm looking at my pudge. Dude. There's no there's no <laughs> way it's 12%. Like Yunmai, you wrong. So I need to find another scale to really see what my actual weight is. Because uh, my perception yeah. of myself they... doesn't seem that fat, right? I don't look I don't look at myself and say, oh, I'm big. But yeah. then I look at an, a picture of myself. I'm like, oh man, homie, you got you let it go, dude. You let it well, go. also, you know, you're just get, we're getting older. Things are yeah. metabolism and shit. It's a whole science, right? Things yeah. change. So you're but, trying the paleo, though. That's what you're trying. I'm gonna try it. Yeah. So so today I just had a bunch of protein, uh, no bread, no grains, uh, and then I'm actually gonna try Damn. intermittent uh, fastation as well. Intermittent starving. That's gonna be. That's. I mean, that's that takes. That's a level of discipline right there. Um, what, let me let me clarify though. Is how do how do you distinguish paleo from? Are you, is it like does it does it induce ketosis? Is this keto? I mean, Not? I haven't done all the science research behind this thing. Lower carb. Uh, I'm all about Lower the carb. hype and trends, dude. So the hype and trend right now is paleo. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm jumping on. Are you like out there foraging for nuts? And- <laughs> <laughs> That'd be amazing. Uh, yeah. No, 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 no. I, I ended up going to, there's this like local coffee shop that gives, has nitro cold brew and then uh, protein boxes. Yeah. Everything the body needs, as Morpheus would say. Yeah, it's just uh, hard-boiled eggs, nuts, cheese, and grapes, and a little bit of nitro cold brew, and I'm good to go. Okay, I guess, yeah, the grapes and fruit, I guess, wouldn't probably be part of a keto diet. But they, it is still like paleo, right? You could Because paleo is basically whatever else, like whatever our caveman ancestors could have found, right? Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I believe that's, uh, it's I like, oh, that's right. It's like, oh, this is a... A free-range lunchable, like my ancestors would have found on the- <laughs> You know, I probably should know more about the diet if it's. I mean, food is a huge component of one's life, and I'm going to be adopting this diet. Don't know enough about it. And, and I and I applaud you about it. Uh, I applaud you specifically because I know food is a big part of what you enjoy in life as well. It is, dude. Well, and so this is like you know Oof. constraining yourself. That's that's real. 
you know, it's a big deal. It's a big deal. I still haven't figured out why, though. When I look in the mirror, I see myself as thin. <laughs> but the facts, <laughs> the facts don't add up, dude. It's this, you know, going back to Alex Jones, it's all about perception and facts. I'm looking at the mirror. I see myself thin. And I look at the facts. It doesn't add up. Um, so <laughs> You know, uh, as, as uh, the Sam Harris and Jordan Peterson debates will hopefully elucidate, there are different forms of truth, Monik. There are different know, forms right? of truth. They really are. <laughs> they really are. The fake news even exists in my own life. In your own mirror. How can <laughs> it betray you like that? Dude, man in the mirror. Um, man in the mirror, yeah. You know, we need to look up the digital millennium copyright, whatever, because you can use 30-second clips from stuff, right? Or am I just yeah. making that up? Yeah, Like yeah. without that issue because i thought you could um but maybe that's wrong anyway if we get big enough where that becomes a problem i think that'll be that'll be all right that's when we know we made it first lawsuit right. i won't even be mad i'm like all right we made it dude. all right you know <laughs> hey intern and get some paperwork going yeah exactly exactly so yes alex jones um so i think it's worth prefacing before we dive into the in today's topic which is uh the, the censorship the mass banning the the omni-banning of Alex yeah. Jones that I think we both do find Alex Jones to be quite quite comedic yeah. in some ways. Understand how problematic he is as well. But I think maybe have a slightly more endearing, I think, lens into what he does, probably because of the Joe Rogan podcast and other things, right? Yeah. Um, so there's a bit of nuance there. Yeah, I mean, my extent of Alex Jones is, you know, I watch the compilation meme clips. I watched a, a full cast maybe a handful of times, and I watched a lot of his podcasts. I mean, yeah. where I come out on him is, you know, obviously, pound for pound, 90% of the time, what he says is absolute rubbish. Um, yep. Diametrically opposed to a lot of his views. You know, think he, he, he needs like a heavy application of Occam's razor to a lot of his theories around the world, right? He, he kind of yeah. creates these large conspiracy theories where the simplest answer is probably right and usually is right. Um, and I think he does do a lot of harm uh, and riles a lot of people up. And I, I think what, it's fair to say that his voice had some role to play in the election of Trump, which is obviously um, you know fundamentally opposed to a lot of the views I have about... About reality. About reality, right? Like, uh, So, I mean, summation is disagree with his thought but the memes though the memes are too yeah. good right like i can i without doubt if i want to laugh i can google alex joan meme and there are a handful of youtube creators who have created a compilation meme oh, set yeah. of these folks oh yeah him, and it's just goddamn hilarious yeah i think i so let me say up front that i realize that he has said some particularly heinous stuff around specifically like instigating the Pizzagate stuff or like um, there was this, you know, sort of fake rumor around the presence of a pedophile ring in like the basement of a Hillary Clinton supporter in D.C. that caused a man to walk in there with a gun. Um, I think the most heinous thing he's done is around like basically like promulgating this like rumor that like the Sandy Hook massacre was basically a conspiracy with actors. Right. Um, like like some pretty dark shit. But I think it, it all comes from this place of him. And I think this is where the, the comedic source is as well. Of him being just this ridiculously paranoid conspiracy theory person. Like he is the conspiracy theorist of the internet, you know, meme, 4chan, troll age, right? And yeah. I think um, 
I think we I think the, the lens into him sort of in in more than one dimension that a lot of people saw was on again Joe Rogan's podcast where he had like kind of this three hour conversation with him and and Eddie Bravo who I don't know why he was there um, and like uh, you just saw this guy who like legitimately felt like he was sort of gripped by this like revolution that was underway between the elites and right. like the true frontiersmen and patriots of this country. He at one point goes into his theory of what the elites want, and it involves <laughs> trans-dimensional uh, vampire pedophiles. Yeah. Um, and like, <laughs> and let's pause there. Like, that's exactly yeah. what he said. That that's not an extrapolation no. of his words. <laughs> and like, in the way in which he talks about like the elites wanting to escape like the third, the three and four dimensions that we're in to go to like ascended dimensions. Like, someone actually. So there's a show called Evangelion, which is like a very it's like the 2001 A Space Odyssey equivalent of anime. It's like very out there, very like kind of esoteric concepts, abstract, a little bit like all over the place. And yeah. like someone's like they, – they, they just took his explanation of what the elites are doing in the real world and, and labeled the video Alex Jones explains the Evangelion conspiracy. Yeah. And it was the – it made total 100% sense. Um, like it fit as if he was talking about a fictional show. Yeah. And I mean, uh, like, and the other thing about him, like in that interview, uh, you know, what's unique about that interview, if folks haven't watched it, uh, I would recommend they do because if they're only seeing Alex Jones as a show, there's a blend of his kind of internal character, his created persona, uh, yeah. and also his business. I mean, the, the Alex yeah. Jones Infowar show. Uh, are a, you are a, you buying the Alex Jones stuff? Is this how you're doing this, this paleo shit? <laughs> Dude, what is it called? Like... Uh, the, yeah, the the supplements he sells are all rubbish. <laughs> You're like, all right, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna get these supplements and I'll be all set. I know, right? And like the, the the issue with him is like when he's on his show, he's a provocateur, he's an entertainer, and he also has his own internal guiding beliefs. Plus, he has a business to run, and you get that. Yeah, mix that that's all a in thing. a soup, and he got a pretty nasty soup, right? That's and a that's a soup right there. It's a it's a it's a gumbo soup. And but when you in the Joe Rogan podcast. It kind of peeled behind the covers, and you had you know friend and friend interacting with one another. Right, and you get a better sense of uh, you know what's motivating this guy, which I thought was interesting. Yeah, and I think that you know there's also to be fair to my own like sympathy, like my own sense of sympathy, sympathy here. It's like it was surprising to I think see the friend to friend interaction in that setting, and right. I think like it like I think it probably proportionally humanized him more than any other one podcast would have for most people. Just because he was such a meme before that. Right. Um, and so he's been keeping on, keeping on, and um, actually has not been happy with President Trump all that much because he, right. he he was crying on one of his bod, uh, podcasts or one of his broadcasts, rather, when uh, it was announced they would go into Syria. Um, right. He had this very, you know, again, he was sort of, he lives in his sort of own headspace. And I think like when the fiction, when like the fan fiction of his head started to break with reality, um he started to actually it sounded like splinter with some of the conservative uh, like types that had had followed him um, yeah. and some of the people who had, had been kind of part of the Trump supporter camp and the Infowars camp. Yeah. Um, and so he's been he's been like I think one thing that I think is lost is like it's not like he's just like a vanilla Trump supporting guy. It's right. like um, he's again, it's like conspiracy and paranoia. And like for a period of time, he, he saw Trump as sort of like the the savior of mankind. But yeah. Um, that that again also wore thin because once it was reified, right? Once it became, once he became president, it's like it immediately became like it, like the magic was gone. Yeah, right. As kind of like what it what it seemed like. Yeah, and what's interesting about him also is that he attracts uh, a pretty diverse set of viewpoints. I mean, I think he he has the four chan crew, he has the alt right crew, he has the Trump yeah. supporters. 
Um, then he has a variety of conspiracy theorists of different flavors and blends and, and seriousness. Um, and I think, you know, when we get to the topic at hand around his deplatforming and censorship, the one big variable here is that his scope of influence is pretty damn large. Uh, from yeah. my understanding, you know, multiple million subscribers on YouTube are getting 12, 13, 14 million views predominantly from the U.S. Uh, on every major cast, plus what he gets from his radio show and any other interviews and podcasts he does. So uh, from a media standpoint and influence on thought and the zeitgeist at the times, this dude actually has outsized influence uh, than most other folks. Yeah, it's true. And I think um, so, so, so the heart of what happened here, I guess, to kind of segue into like the the current events um was that was it sunday it might have been sunday um by the time we're recording this it was like basically you know within a few weeks of this recording at you know whenever it goes up um is uh apple decided to delist him from the itunes podcast directory basically right um so his app which actually allows you to like broad like like watch his live streams and see his broadcast was still up but um his podcasts were delisted and apparently, like, everybody kind of followed in line from seeing that. So Facebook decided to delist him or, like, ban him, basically, ban, like, perma-ban, hit, like, permanently ban him from the platform um, shortly after that. And uh, YouTube and Google did the same thing uh, after that as well in, like, the, in the successive days. Um, and I think that was, like, that caused this wave where it's, like, you know, there's, of course, the reaction where it's, like, yeah, the guy had what's coming to him. He was, yeah. you know, you, you could argue he did incite hateful speech and, like, incite violence via speech um, and like things that might qualify under certain hate, you know, sort of common definitions of hate speech. But it, it did really open up a conversation because it's like, well, these are all private platforms. Right. Um, and there's the sense that like, you know, he was doing what he was doing for quite a while. Yeah. And so was it just sort of cowardice that kept people from doing anything until, you know, Apple sort of flipped a switch or like, uh, it all felt bizarre and strangely, even if it was just kind of follow the leader, it felt coordinated in a way that feels like malicious. And, you know, for a guy who's a conspiracy theorist, um, definitely not going to do anything to uh, to keep him from maybe riling up his greatest conspiracy theory yet. You yeah. know? No, and not only that, I mean, like, what was there a, a specific match that was lit in the recent recent few weeks that caused this? Or was this just completely uh, arbitrary in terms of when Apple made that choice? I think um, this is where I'm unclear, right? Because I've heard, you know, like you can point to a recent broadcast, like any broadcast that's recent and say, hey, look, there's something hateful there that violates terms of service. Um, But that was true, I think, for pretty much the entire back catalog of what he had been posting. So I don't think, at least to my knowledge, there was anything that was like sort of the the match that was lit that was different than what he was doing prior, right? Uh, Or at least markedly different. It It was more, I think, the... Uh, it was just the decision to act on it probably finally, uh, which is what's interesting, right? Because like you sort of, even if he was uh, transgressing, right, and he was breaking rules, it was like you sort of had projected that it was okay, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Now, I think that's fair. I mean, like if, if, if we're looking at um, grading him on hate speech, inciting violence, spreading fake news, screaming obscenities, um, <laughs> you know, he's checked that box for years. Um, there's no, I don't think there's anything substantially new in what he's doing. And that, and going back to your point, it's like, I almost wish, you know, from my stance, I'm like, you know, these are for-profit companies. They can do what they want. And I think we can't question the decision. I think that's that's perfectly fine. But we can talk about the, the greater responsibility for these platforms in corralling and, and thinking about censorship and free speech as human society. This is the first time you can broadcast your views globally. 
that's a separate topic. But the the main concern I have is uh, I almost wish they did conspire. <laughs> I wish yeah. these platforms conspired and spread this shit out, right? Because on the surface, it looks kind of in a few days time frame. If there was no specific uh, specific point you can, uh, instance you can point to that caused them to make this action. If I care, and you know me, deeply progressive, I care about the progressive agenda. This just adds fuel to the fire of any conspiracy theory around the left deplatforming any sub, uh, any alternative views in a really real and clear way. Um, so I'm deeply concerned about. I don't know what the fallout has been from Alex Jones followers and other yeah. folks that you know run in his circles, but. To do it in such a short time frame, I almost wish behind the scenes that they actually did conspire in week by week, guys. Just like spread this shit out, uh, make it seem a little bit more reasonable and uh, less conspicuous and and less of a conspiracy. Yeah, I I can definitely sympathize with what you're saying, but I I actually don't. So I'm I'm reticent to if if he was actually trying to target specific people um, and he was actually there's evidence that he was, you know, the hateful speech was you know, sort of specific, like actionable and directed enough that it was a danger to have him on the sure. platform. Like sure. it wasn't just misinformation, the typical Alex Jones stuff. Um, like that's one thing, but I, I you know, I, I tend to, I think, be very skeptical of banning somebody from a platform. I know it's, again, you can, you can sort of say it's a private platform that can do what they want, but there is sort of like an easement that occurs when you, you know, you, you kind of allow somebody to exist and build a business and build a following yeah. um, on your platform over the span of years. Um, and you don't enforce, you know, maybe, you know, them crossing over one of the lines you've drawn. Then you suddenly decide to to kind of like drop the ban hammer on them. Yeah. Um, so I think that, that kind of feels weird to me. Um, yeah. And I and think I, generally it, it does it does feel like it comes from a place of fear, right? Yeah. I mean, I agree. I mean, I want to I want to qualify and say that, you know, I still lean towards... So I think the you know, objectively the decision we can't really assault the decision because they are their own private enterprises running these platforms. I mean, right, and, and everybody's saying freedom of speech. It's not a government trying to silence anybody here. It's private. Right, platforms. it's a private entity, and I think we can have an interesting discussion on you know our view of again kind of the responsibilities of these private entities when in the first time in human history someone can produce thought, display it for all to see, and what responsibility is that. What responsibility does that increase on the platform, on the companies that run those platforms? Right. But when I'm doing the calculus, uh, what, I, what I don't know yet is with the banning of Alex Jones. So if you let Alex Jones stay on the platform, there, there are a couple of things that I, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on. So one, yeah. with his banning, people who want to listen to Alex Jones are going to find ways to listen to Alex Jones, regardless of the platform he's on, right? They're, I'm using some... Tor, man. I'm, I'm getting it via Tor. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, I mean, like, they're going to find ways to find his, uh, find his thought and agree with his thought. And the, the negative of that, what I really deeply fear is when you don't have thought out in the limelight, there's a, the, the calcification of that thought increases, right? Those, those ideas become more virulent uh, and stronger. And when it's not in for all to see, it's much less likely to be attacked. And, you know, the the end result of his thought, in my mind, if people find him in this subversive view versus, you know, the limelight of an Apple, Facebook, Google, YouTube, whatever it may be, then I think you have thought that leads to stronger thought, which leads to behavior, which leads to actions, which, you know, are completely against, you know, my political viewpoint and, and where I think humans should go. So that's concerning to me. But the counterpoint to that is, if you 
what's worse is um, actually allowing that thought to grow via giving him large, large platforms like YouTube, et cetera, et cetera. So it's a hard calculus to play. Like what is the appropriate action here of, uh, you know, putting it under the ground and when it's underground, things grow and, and become stronger or letting it for all to see where the actual thought can be spread more wi- wildly like a cancer. Um, yeah. No, no, I think those are both like nuanced points of view for sure. And I think my own bias definitely comes down on like, I think I think you can't try to tuck these things away. And I think yeah. you can't like, again, think about the, just, just in this specific example, like there's a general point, but in this specific case, the people who follow him are probably also somewhat attracted to the conspiratorial and kind of the paranoid and, and those sorts of thought patterns that emanate from Alex Jones, right? And yeah. this sort of coordinated deed platforming, right? Um, like sort of, it almost it almost like makes it more combustible that it's not given like kind of the equivalent platform as everybody else because it, it kind of re, it kind of re it reinforces the notion that there is you know some sort of grand conspiracy in this right. case. So I don't right, think you're exactly. doing anything in this particular instance to actually. Uh, I mean, you might be depriving the guy of business. You might be like uh, affecting like again like sort of like the ability for him to sustain. But I don't think it, I don't think it intellectually uh, deplatforms him in any way. Right. It just sort of reinforces like sort of the the conspiratorial notions, um, and I and I, I I guess I, I I do think that it you know I, you know somebody who disagrees a lot of what Alex Jones says I think he should still be allowed to say it and I think again unless there's very specific violations which are of real concern to people um, and it and it, again it, it just doesn't seem like it holds water like maybe you know Apple is known for being a pretty conservative culture when it comes to how it regulates its stores and its sure. marketplaces. And so I can see maybe it crossed line with iTunes, but the fact that the dominoes then fell for Facebook and for Google, um, it's like, I don't really believe that you guys were keeping an eye on specific content and deciding yeah. to act. Yeah. Um, it just seems like you wanted to um, avoid the the sort of the, the follow-up media story that would have occurred, which is, well, why didn't you guys take action as well? Right. Um, and I think the one notable exception here to point out is that Twitter chose not to ban him. So, right. or like, like, so Jack Dorsey and folks at Twitter, and they were lambasted for this, said, hey, you know, what he says, you know, he says a lot of reprehensible things, perhaps um, you can disagree with it, like not yeah. endorsing it for sure, but he didn't yeah. violate our terms of service. And so I actually, you know, I... Is I, that true though? Like he didn't violate the terms of service? So I guess his tweeting content might be substantially different, uh, substantially right. less uh, combustible than the content that he spews on his podcast. My sense is like in in the specifics, that's true. Like he's probably, it's probably the case that on Twitter, there isn't stuff that's like, it isn't the three hours of video and, you know, they probably aren't getting the same sort of granularity of content that the other services are getting. Um, And so they can probably say like, or tap dance around like, hey, he didn't actually ever violate any terms of service here. He's just posting links and posting updates. But I also think that if you think about Twitter's position sort of in the Trump era, um, they have been pretty ardent in saying like we're not going to try. Like people have said, you know, Trump is inciting violence. Trump is yeah. doing this and that. Like yeah. you should you should ban him right. or you should ban others around him. And they've been, I think they've been very hesitant to do any of that. And I think if I, if I had to sort of project a motivation onto them, I think there is this sense that they think it is dangerous to do that. Yeah. And and, and to sort of try to you know kind of apply a partisan filter across what is supposed to be a global public square. Right. Yeah, I think it's at the argument of precedence, right? It's it's if we set this precedence and we can't control the future folks who maybe control Twitter, you know, Dorsey's might be internally sound and morally correct in his own view, 
Right. Uh, if he sets the precedence of you know squelching speech or or deplatforming, then the next person who might not share his views can use that same uh, same right as well, which is which is tough to grapple with on a longer time scale. Yeah, and Twitter has this sort of, I mean, even relative to YouTube, which is, you know, so extremely pervasive today, and even relative to Facebook, which is kind of like the community water cooler environment for most people, like Twitter is sort of a unique beast, right? Like policy gets announced on Twitter now. Like right. it's sort of like this this massive global, like IRC, right? This sort of like messaging service. And um, I think the implications of banning somebody from Twitter are also a little bit different, right? It seems a bit more neutral and it seems a bit more um, like extreme to say you can't have a voice on this platform. That's, I think, you know, as, you know, not nearly as as monetarily um, sort of sound as the other platforms, but I think more critical in a lot of ways. Yeah, yeah. And I feel like, I mean, there's always going to be, you know, when, when these folks take an act on Alex Jones and are pointing to the rules that they have on their platforms, you know, there are countless others who are breaking those rules as well. Um, and you can't, you can't police everyone, uh, which then institutes, you know, cognitive dissonance and a double standard in someone's mind. But the thing I still struggle with is, you know, right now we're, we're talking about purely the ideas he spews and his right to spew those ideas, however, uh, you know, disingenuous, incorrect they might be. But then they have real world impact. Like you talked about the Pizzagate controversy, but then we look yeah. at his, his, his views on Sandy Hook, right? Where yes. The parents of Sandy Hook harassed. Yeah, it's, constantly it's ugly. To this it's day, it's right? horrific stuff. And in, in, in that scenario, it's I'm looking at, you know, what are the limits here? Where where can we as a society course correct and choose that this is not, you know, yeah, free speech is great. We already already have forms of unprotected speech. You know, if there's very clear cause for human suffering, uh, then do we think it's a little bit more appropriate? to squelch speech. And I'm, I'm kind of playing devil's advocate here because I still generally have the inclination that you have, which is, and another thing we didn't think about, which is actually probably the biggest variable in my mind is if you have thought out there, um, something like a YouTube, the beauty of YouTube is you can get exposed to a lot of different ideas. Right. You can click on an Alex Jones video and be a fervent Alex Jones supporter. And on the far right, you can click on a counterpoint that pops up of someone refuting his exact point. Yeah. And if you put his views in the underground, you will never have that opposing view even have a chance of popping up in your in your perspective. And that, I think, is very dangerous. Like, how do we think people's ideas change? It's, um, in my mind, that's probably the biggest argument for, for me personally around why I disagree is the more open ideas, the more chances someone who has a very calcified thought, the more chance that thought has, to, uh, has the ability to change over time. Uh, which is kind of what we're aiming for, right? I agree. And I think um, it's harder to do on Twitter with real impact, but I also think there's a there's sort of a granularity and a proportion like sort of argument as well, where it's like if he says something terrible in a video or in two videos out of right. like a thousand or out of 1500, like maybe they all have ridiculous content, but like the, the Pizzagate stuff, the Sandy Hook stuff, which is, you know, I think clearly uh, you could argue like you, you could, I think, make an argument, I don't know the specifics that argue that actually violates terms of service, right? right? Like, you could remove those videos specifically. Like, YouTube does something where it demonetizes videos if it feels right. the content isn't acceptable. You could even go beyond that and say, we're going to ban any videos. We're going to do, like, sort of, you know, use algorithms for what they're good at, right? It's like, we're going to trace through the, the sort of transcribed uh, sort of speed transcript from your videos, and we're going to say, like, if we find the word Sandy Hook in there, it's not getting posted. Like, 
You right. could, Something you could. Like that, I mean, yeah. and that yeah. gets into a different sort of like uh, sort of partial censorship uh, game. But there are ways. There's like you know, the fact that it has to be absolute, right? It's like your your entire thing is banned. I think makes it particularly unsettling. No, no, yeah. definitely agree. And I, I think you know the, the the most important question in my mind is, will this action hurt or help the left's agenda or the progressive agenda, which is the I think it will I hurt about. it. I, I think agree. it's going to hurt it. I agree. I think it hurts it long term. I think when you add it up of some form of a martyr effect with Alex Jones to sure. reinforcing conspiracy theories around the left's squelching speech, you know, however true or not true that is. Uh, three, um, a lot of these conspiracy theorists banding together uh, in a in an unseen area where no one can question them or attack them, and no one's could be miffed to do so because it's not widely accessible unless people already agree think about news. think about the charlottesville marches right when when like right. sort of the the white nationalist march there it's like they all gather on forums and in places that nobody else looks right it's like stormfront that like neo-nazi exactly. website it's That's other places point. right yep it's yep. like same thing will happen with everybody you think is unacceptable for mainstream platforms and there are a lot more as that showed there are more of them than you think yeah um yeah no, that's a great point. I think that's a perfect point because it's like that. That's what's going to happen with his his following. Yeah, uh, but if you are listening, Alex Jones subscribers, like and subscribe, please. Uh, <laughs> we'll take anything we can get, man. Like, hey, you know, if you're if you're comment. opening yourself up to if you're opening yourself up to eclectic thought to different points of view, I applaud you for that. And I think um, one of the things that I think is 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 like you know to on a more serious note is like very important is like you said the ability to basically go between viewpoints and actually not just see the soundbite but actually see the argument right yeah um, and you know I've again it's hard to watch Alex Jones in you know longer clips than two to four minutes but it was it was interesting and again I got more uh, context on what he actually believes by doing that um, yeah and I think like it's it's easy to to just hate somebody or to vilify them. And that might be the correct thing to do, you know, sort of from your moral stance or from where you sit. But if you haven't bothered to figure out what they're actually about and you've just seen a meme or just seen a tweet um, and you're, you know, you're deciding to take up the banner against somebody like I think that's the form of the liberal uh, kind of like a scapegoating that we think is going to be ultimately very destructive. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it goes both ways. It right? definitely goes both ways. Yeah. But I think, like you said, one side has classically stood for, you know, sort of open and free speech as much as the other um, and to see it getting infringed on or see sort of the outrage machine wheeled out on, you know, so, so often I think is, is what's concerning. Yeah. Agreed. Um, um, I mean, I think that's like part of the reason why it's been so difficult to think about what's happened the last 18 months. It's like the yeah. amount of, <laughs> the amount of outrage, you know, in a given week that happens is exhausting. Um, and yeah. I try not to actually look at, my Twitter timeline all that much uh, as a result. Um, I try to, ju- and I've, I've tried to just like limit it, limit the amount of people who are like bound to be political or sort of tweet the incensory or retweet the incensory political stuff to very few right. Right. because you open that and suddenly like, you know, it's, you, you don't even know what happened. You see the reaction to the reaction to the reaction of something. Dude, people need to chill, dude. I mean, yeah. I have a, actually have goofy personal story about people need to chill. I was on a flight yeah. uh, earlier this week. Uh, actually, no, just like three days ago to uh, Minneapolis, right? So Fly on LGA. Flight's not delayed, right? So I can get when people are ir- irritable when flights are delayed. Flight's not delayed on time, actually boarding early. Yeah. I get on the plane and um, I'm putting my baggage in the overhead compartment. And it's a full flight. 
So they're asking people to check bags, but you know, I didn't check my bag and there was still space. So I'm putting my bag up and the lady who's sitting next to me gets up and, you know, helps move her stuff to the left side of this compartment and I'm able to put my bag in and not touching the right side of the compartment at all. And this guy right below me, um, you know, raises his voice and says, why are you fiddling with my laptop up there? Um, and uh, initially I said, my, you know, my initial reaction is, you know, sorry, sir, I'm not, not, not touching your laptop. And actually the lady behind uh, who's, you know, moving her stuff on the left side says, yeah, he's not touching your laptop. Sorry about that. He gets up and looks me in the face and continues to raise his voice and says, you know, why are you messing with my laptop? And at this point I was just like flabbergasted that I actually smiled and it started like yeah. giggling because it was just such an absurd scene of, you know, this person has you know just completely wrong priorities in life. Like, why is this the hill you want to die upon, right? When I'm not even touching your bag, uh, touching your laptop. Uh, and then suddenly, uh, you know, I showed him exactly where my bag is and where his laptop was. And, you know, clearly by the laws of physics, there's no way that my bag is touching his laptop. And he finally apologizes. But um, it was like very startling to me to be accosted in that way. It made me realize that, you know, what I deem as what really needs to, what, what's deserving of outrage is just so radically different than other people uh, in day-to-day life. Um, I would never in a million years raise my voice at someone, even if they were moving my bag in yeah. an airplane, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's just a radically different way of experiencing the world. So um, you scale that up to a lot of people, well, this is what you get. Well, I got, I got, I got a few tidbits of wisdom after hearing that story that popped to mind. Yeah. yeah. One... For our listeners out there, you, you, this is like this is wisdom that I heard from Charlemagne the God on a podcast, which is you, all, you never want to raise your voice for also one specific reason, which is you can never control how someone else is going to react. Um, so you happen to smile and be calm about it. Someone else might be having a very different day, yep. and they get sort of they get sort of harangued like that, and something very different happens to that guy. Um, right. And so you just you don't want to put that negative energy out there. Second thing is I hope that you called the DEA because it sounds like that guy was definitely smuggling drugs. It's like, <laughs> why was he so concerned about you touching this bag? It was not a laptop, uh, dude. No, dude. There's dude. something else going on. Unless he had dude. his crypto keys on that drive, dude. It's, know, like, right? it's like, oh, shit, dude. <laughs> something else was going on there. That's what I'm saying, man. It goes back to Kanye, dude. You got to feel the love. Yeah, it's true. I do worry about Kanye, though. I do. Because I yeah. think um, – I just don't think his natural state is that sort of love bliss. I think he's a more volatile personality than that. He's trying to. I mean did you see his recent interview on uh, Jimmy Kimmel? I did. And I think yeah. I think he's – again, and even then I could see a little bit of a difference I thought from the prior interviews. I think he is, he's just more of a, a volatile – I think it's a positive spectrum of emotions. But I don't think it's just this sort of like serene, like yoga, bliss kind of thing. Sure. Um, and maybe he felt it for a while and I, I think it's a good feeling to try to hold on to, but it's, you know, for somebody who has, I think his creative dispositions, I think it's difficult. Um, but Hey, you know, if he's, you know, he, I, I applaud the guy for talking so openly about his, his, his struggles with mental health. Yeah. Um, and I think he has, um, you know, again, from just reading and, and listening to folks like done a bit to move the conversation for parts of his audience that have not felt comfortable talking about that stuff openly. So that's pretty cool. No, definitely, definitely. And I, mean, I think um, what, what I will say about Kanye uh, is that um, the album with Kid Cudi was very much a return to form. So, I mean, even, you know, yeah. breaking through all the political shenanigans, all the Twitter shenanigans, 
uh, you know, Kanye at the end of the day is still has to be respected for the creative genius he is. I don't think people give enough credit for that. I mean, that's a phenomenally produced album. Yeah. And I think like, you know, he produced again, seven albums, seven songs each, um, like within the span of a few months. It's like that he just had this sort of pent up creativity when he was in the hospital is is his is is what this is how the story goes and right. um was able to just unleash that which is really cool. I think it, it shows that he's he's got something some fire still in him which is really cool. Um what what's your favorite Alex Jones meme? Um man, that's a hard question man. There's a <laughs> there's a compendium of memes out there. I do think the even Gallian one is is my favorite. That is again, pretty, yeah, yeah. It's it, you have to watch the show to realize just I mean it's not like you have to know it that well but it's like it is a like just that title alone saying he's explaining the plot of this show and then he goes in that rant. It's like it's within two percent of that show, like ninety eight percent match plot of Evangelion, um, and he believes this is true. Yeah, and when he's talking about it, he, he like deeply believes it's true. He's passionately talking about this so yeah. much so that it's like you can't look away, right? You have to listen to him. And parts Dude, of it imagine are being in the same room. Yeah. We're just watching it over in two dimensions. Imagine being in that room, seeing the sweat, seeing the the fervor, seeing like the the, the religious prophecy. Yeah, he's just manic about it. And the, the cool thing about you know the, the interesting about that whole his just theory of the world is you know the core of it is very life affirming. Yeah, right? that's the thing. It's like he's like it's like this sort of druidic almost like Gaia, Mother Nature. Like we are beautiful creatures, not beasts to be. Uh, to be enslaved by people who have no regard for life. It's like this like very right. galactic, like Shakespearean yeah. thing. And I think that's why people resonate a lot with it is because, um, I mean, that's ideally how everyone wants to feel is, you know, beyond alive, fully human. Yeah. Um, and he yeah. just, he really, he, he, the narrative he has built around that is is pretty powerful. The metaphysical frontier. Yeah, dude. <laughs> Is that our show title? Maybe it's our show title. Metaphysical Frontier, dude. Oh, shit, dude. Oh, my God. <laughs> gotta, dude, gotta I'm drinking drink so more. much Malbec, dude. I'm almost, I finished this whole bottle, dude. Is this keto? Is this keto or whatever the fuck you're doing? Oh, shit, dude. I don't know if wine is part of paleo <laughs> diet, dude. Oh, no. Well, if you oh, don't no. look it up, you're not breaking any rules. That's true, dude. I haven't been exposed to that thought, dude. It's like until, uh, until the thought exists. They deplatformed the diets. Uh, I can only, uh, all I have is whatever I found on WikiHow. Is okay, speaking of memes, is WikiHow just one big meme site? I think so, dude. At this point, yeah. Because <laughs> like the amount of goofy things they get people to draw, it's like how to like use a broom to like uh, to like seduce a raccoon. It's like and then somebody <laughs> somebody like draws these things. I'm like, what is happening here? And impressively, it's like the same art style. It's like the same artist. I, someone is making bank off Fiverr or Craigslist like drawn for WikiHow, dude. It's like that is their that is their career. It's like the new Yahoo Answers, right? Is that is that the way to think about it? I've like, been on Yahoo in years, man. I, I, when is Yahoo gonna die, dude? Dude, I like how Yahoo wasn't in any of this conversation around Apple, Facebook, Google, YouTube, yeah. Twitter. What about like, Yahoo? Dude? Where's Yahoo? What happened? <laughs> I think they're still in this weird mode where they're making enough money to kind of stay alive it's like i maybe even doing more than that it's like 
I, I, well, no, I think abroad, I think abroad Yahoo still has relevance, right? I think so. You know, it's like in the Philippines, apparently, BlackBerry Messenger. Maybe it's Indonesia. It, maybe it's, I think it's Indonesia. Um, yeah. BBM is like still the tool, even though people don't really use even Blackberries. The BBM software, BlackBerry Messenger software is like the thing. That's crazy. Yeah, BlackBerry, dude, it's coming back. It's coming back, dude. You remember when they thought that the Apple TV was going to be a gaming device? I know, right? Yeah. I mean, speaking of games, you've been playing anything recently? Not really. I've been so well. I have been playing one thing, which is uh, I've been using my PlayStation Vita, which is still mm-hmm. the greatest console in the world. Haters gonna hate um, yeah. to play Xenogears, which is oh, a PlayStation One RPG. So let break. Let me break it down for you. I am using a PlayStation Vita, which is an unsupported console, which is emulating a PlayStation Portable, the previous unsupported console, to play a PlayStation One game from 1997. <laughs> um so anybody out there who thinks they're hipster get at me dude that's pretty actually pretty fucking hilarious uh and it's pretty great um I, it feels a little bit like it's like one of those things where i don't know if you have this experience with media but like it's it's like one of those games that's compelling and good and all these things but like it's a little clunky because it's old but like you know you kind of yeah. want to soldier through it because it's going to be worth it yeah. But, like, it's a little – it takes a little bit of willpower to get through parts of it. You know what I'm saying? It's, like, just because it's it's older and, like, some it's a little tedious. It's got the random random battles and stuff that pop up, which are pretty tedious. Do you have, like, any experiences, any old games that, like, you're, like, you go back and you're, like, I really want to experience this? But I'm trying to think. I don't know. Um, yeah, maybe, I'm, maybe I just have this weird, powerful the nostalgia. Only, the all, only old games I go back to are the ones that are, like, just, like – fiercely competitive right i'll go back to counter-strike and all these types of games uh either fiercely competitive or the grind like i i've, I've yeah. figured out over time that the games that appeal to me even though like generally I, i'll play a story-based game like a, the witcher the last of us like at the end of the day what drives me is the grind and competition and like internal self-improvement in the game so, so okay and, when you say the grind then it's like it's it is like the progression within a game like the witcher well, the thing is, like, it's it's the grind when there's a comparison of the grind to someone else. So, like, yeah. in The Witcher, it's single player, right? But in Diablo, I can right. compare the efforts of my grind and how I calculated the grind to other folks based on the gear they have. And that, to me, kind of plays back on the competitive spirit, and I love it. Yeah, and that, that makes, makes sense. sense but, yeah. I mean, well, you got to pick up the the mantle again and start playing StarCraft again, man. It's too stressful, man. I can't do it. I can't do it. I've been playing uh, this this other game. Probably talk, uh, talk There's going to be a time, dude, because the world is is entering a weird volatile phase. It's going to be like Monic, like the the fate of the world hangs in your ability to play against his <laughs> master's league. <laughs> if only, dude. If and you're going to have to like put on the headset and be like, all right, <laughs> dude. I got, I got. And like you, you're going to toss this keto food out the window and be like, get me some chicken tikka masala. It's like dude. I need some real fuel, some gamer yeah, fuel. I need game or field to play StarCraft. Mountain Dew. I'm playing uh, Escape from Tarkov. Did I tell you about this game yet? I think we talked about it a little bit. You're still playing it? Oh, dude, I'm still so addicted. It's like the most realistic shooter that's out there. Really? Um, I, didn't even, I didn't even realize it was a shooter. I thought it was like an RTS. No, 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 no. It's a shooter. And it's like, you know, some simple things that, you know, other folks who play games will recognize. Like, you know, in most shooters, you got a health bar. You got a HUD. You can see your Go bullets. On. You can see your magazines. You can see all this shit. Yeah. You can see your teammates, right? None of that. To see your teammate, you got to make sure you're matching the same armbands. To 
reload your magazine, you got to make sure it's in your pockets and it has bullets in it. If it doesn't have bullets in it, you got to reload and put bullets in it. Uh, and it's just, and it just goes on and on and on in terms of its realistic mechanics. And it builds this environment where um, you are constantly on edge playing this game, but every kill you get is incredibly rewarding. Yeah. Um, it's a phenomenally, phenomenally made game. It's, it's in that made- sense. Does it yeah. com- is it at all analogous to the feelings of these battle royale games like Player Unknown's Battlegrounds or Fortnite, where it's like it's like the tension of like each each phase you survive, each kill in the game like feels very meaningful compared to like say like a a Halo type game because yeah. of like the no, ten- it definitely the has tension. aspects of that, but yeah. like you know one example is let's say so in um, in Player Unknown's Battlegrounds, which is just like enormous at this point. Um, if I am, uh, you know, reloading my weapon, um, I can just hit the R button and reload that weapon. Or if I'm shooting my weapon, I can know how many bullets are in my magazine, right? So I can look and see, okay, I shot 20 shots, I'm at 10 of 30. Right. Uh, with Tarkov, for example, let's say you're shooting your gun, there's no indicator to let you know how many bullets are in your left in your magazine. So there's a, hot, there's a button you have to press to actually take out your magazine from your gun, look at oh, it. Wow. And see how many bullets are left and then put it back in your gun. And you enjoy this level of, of, of masochism. It's just realistic. It makes you... Th- it, I mean... The thing is, what's powerful about it is it dramatically changes the, the, the tactics you employ in a first-person shooter in a way that I haven't seen before, right? So you have to think about your progression throughout the map, how you peek through corners, how you think about your positioning, how you think about sound in the game. Right. Um, because, you know, people are going to hear you reloading your bullets, for example. And I have this to, thought, yeah. which is that it's only you and other InfoWars like fans <laughs> playing this game. <laughs> no, as, there's, there's a lot of people. It's because they, you're seeing it as like the most hardcore FPS and they're seeing it as like a revolution simulator. <laughs> that'd be hilarious <laughs> that, that's the uh right? so you go to like it's like yeah i'll go to this tarkov meetup meet some cool yeah, people it's like what the fuck it's like yeah we're playing tarkov it's a milsim to like figure out 1776 will commence again if you take away our firearms <laughs> and you're that's like, my favorite alex jones meme <laughs> <laughs> oh is that is that it it's not the frogs yeah, yeah. uh no no turn to the freaking frogs gay <laughs> yeah it's like um which i think actually there was a kernel of real research in there um, but uh, it was layered in memes, so and misinterpretation. Yeah, so we're gonna try to do this more regularly. Yeah, for sure. Uh, well, ideally twice a month. Yeah, I think like we're that. gonna aim it. Like if we put it out there into the world, that's like a contract we're forming with the universe, which is yeah. a pretty serious contract. Yeah, we can't. I mean, we can't be untruthful to Mother Nature. Yeah, we we can't do that. So every week we'll try to basically or every every other week, um, already 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 fudging the contract. We're gonna try to like yeah talk through what's happening, um, a big issue, a couple issues. Again, like we did last time, maybe have a guest on when it makes sense yeah. to, um, and uh, try try to add to the discourse and try to reduce the discord, as it were. Ooh, you like that? Hot damn, dude! Bars. I know, dude. I, Bars, Kanye <laughs> shouldn't have stopped at seven now, but should have made an eighth one with me on it. But I know, dude. Jeez. The number seven though is a powerful number, so I see why he stuck with seven, 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 seven. It's one more than uh, it's two more than five, five, five. Herman Cain's <laughs> deal. deal. <laughs> uh, man, he's made his cheese. He's made his cheese. I, I don't know what he's doing nowadays, but I have to assume he's living well. Oh yeah, absolutely. Actually, speaking of that, I don't know why this came to mind now, but we got to watch the. 
D'Souza uh, movie that came out. I can't do... Have you watched any of Dinesh D'Souza's movies? No, I haven't. But this one seems particularly bad. I feel like we will cross a lot. Even even though we're, we're quite adventurous and quite... You know, we realize we have to go to the gates of the things that are uncomfortable, observe them, interact with them, interrogate them, uh, you know, contend with them. I feel like yeah. Dinesh D'Souza's stuff is a is a bridge too far, man. I don't know. <laughs> I feel like it's so... And the fact that that dude got pardoned, oh, fuck, god damn it. I know, dude. I forgot Shit. that happened. I forgot god. that happened. Damn, dude. And that oh, dude, man. and you know, I can't blame him for it because I'd probably do the same thing. He was so smug on Twitter afterwards. He's like, well, I got a pardon, so I'm not going to jail. Because everyone's like, you're going to jail, LOL. And he's yeah, like, yeah, yeah. next day, he's like, actually, I'm not. Uh, did you see his uh, proposal to his uh, uh, new bay? I did not. With, oh, it's on YouTube? It's on YouTube, dude. He put his proposal on YouTube. Proposes at like a dinner and like he gives the ring and the cake. It's like, come on, Dinesh, man. Yeah, I mean, that's, you know, I don't know. Was it those of the, was it a good looking cake? It, uh, yeah, it was all right. Yeah, it was all right. But you got to put more effort into it. Let the, let uh, the man live. Let the man live. Um, as long as he doesn't make hateful content. And especially just, as long as he doesn't besmirch the name of Obama, dude. Fuck. At some point, maybe I'll I'll go and watch some of what he's done, but I'll have to be under the influence of something when I'm doing it. That's what we should do next time, dude. Next yeah. time we're in New York, we're gonna get drunk, watch the Nation Susan uncast. Yeah, we can actually we could probably just like have like a, a Twitch stream going. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just be like, God. dude, that's an idea, right? Uh, <laughs> it's like let's watch politically whacked out videos and like live Twitch stream the live reaction of the people watching them. Not a bad idea. All right, well, let, let's cut the tape here, dude. We can't have people do, stealing this idea. Dude, that idea is too good, dude. All right, cut the tape, cut the tape. Cut the tape. We have this forum for long-form discussion. Real long-form discussion. Turns out that everyone is way smarter than we thought. The wave. 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 That's a real mistake. You might be on top of the wave. I truly am ridiculously overwhelmed and grateful and happy and pleased that all these people show up. Show up.